This is the Troll Patrol. Why? With Justin. Freaking. Oh shit, I, I switched everything to my Valentine's overlay, except for the opening screen. I am so sorry. It's not Super Bowl anymore. Boom! There we go. Valentine's Day graphics. Welcome to the Troll Patrol Live. It's a freaking Valentine's Day. Still had the football up there for a second. If you're having trouble with the stream, go ahead and refresh. Uh, I had to switch servers while we were doing the countdown. Looks like it's okay now. I don't know what the fuck is going on with my VPN that I use. It has been unreliable as of late. It's actually not my ISP. My ISP has been doing very well since I was up their ass for two months. I had to send the lead tech to my house. Hey, Socks. Oh, you guys can't see him. He's just off camera. Hey, Socrates. You want to come say hey? Since I was up their asses about my internet. Hey, buddy doing something right now. He's got a bad habit of doing this. In front of me. He's got a bad habit of interrupting me while I'm working and shit. Because he wants attention. Hey, you're sitting in front of the screen I'm going to have to look at when we actually start doing content. Socks. Everybody's having an excellent Valentine's Day, whatever that means to you. I don't like the the commercial aspects of holidays. Usually I just watch a movie. Good evening, Ginger. Welcome. Welcome. Usually I watch a movie that's related to, you know, I'd watch like a love story or some shit. But clearly I'm here with you guys tonight. And what are we going to talk about? There's no love shit here, even though I do have my I love pussy shirt on. Oh shit! I've uh, I've got some Super Bowl hot takes for you. Apparently, Charlie Kirk, Charlie Kirk thought the Super Bowl halftime show was. You live in sexual anarchy. Sexual anarchy. <laughs> for what reason? I don't fucking know. Seemed pretty tame to me. A lot, of, a lot of debate about whether it was the best Super Bowl ever. Apparently old people didn't like it. I don't care. All I know, all I know is that I warned Sparkles ahead of time. When I got over to her house, I'm like, there is a rumor. There is a rumor that there's going to be a holographic Tupac. She's like, if there's a holographic Tupac, I ain't never watching that shit again. That's the first time she's ever watched a Super Bowl halftime show. We're sitting over at her house. We were supposed to get Chinese, but I go to her house and she's made a roast. Like, I thought we were getting Chinese. And she's like, well, I made a roast. I need to make it. And he's like, you want some roast? I'm like, yeah, give me some roast. Very good roast. I enjoyed it very much. We're sitting there and her kids over on the couch talking to Raymond. Like, I thought you guys were going to go watch the Super Bowl. You don't think we're actually watching the game, do you? You think we give a shit about football? We're just going to watch the halftime show. 
And we got here with like 30 seconds left in the in the second half. Unfortunately, we had to listen to him talk about f- sporty ball before we got to the music. A meme of the day. Dr. Dre plays piano. Snoop Dogg drives a car. 50 Cent. Go, go, go. That was, if that was their big surprise, I was highly let down because I was never a 50 Cent fan. Did the Rams win? I didn't. I didn't even know. <laughs> Usually, I'll stick around after the game or after the the halftime show if it's a good game. But like Sparkles was here, we watched South Park and shut. She hadn't seen the new episode, so I had to lay it on her. But uh, I I went to find several right wing hot takes. I couldn't exactly find any of the usual suspects. So we've got a show we've never watched before. What the fuck were they called? Hey Morton, Hey Morton, the female on the Hey Morton show did not like the halftime show. We're going to hear what she had to say about it. That should be fun. Socks, dude, you're stop trying to press buttons on my board. You are not a sound tech. Well, congratulations. Good. I mean, the, the Rams were there like they're in L.A. That's their stadium, right? So. The home team won. Socks. Socrates. Socrates. I've got an issue with you here, buddy. We've got shit to do. I think he's wanting me to feed him. I fed him just a little bit ago, but the motherfucker threw up. And now he's like, I'm hungry. I threw up and you cleaned up the throw up, so I couldn't eat it. So now I need more food. Okay, hold on. I'll feed you. Yes, that's what he wanted. Not going to leave me alone until I went over there and put some food in his bowl. That ass. Not fat shaming him. He's a chonk. Probably needs to lose some weight. Apparently there's a whole thing about fat shaming with 50 Cent. Sparkles got in on the fat shaming, but like uh, that had to do with, I guess, 50 Cent had some shit talking to do about Lizzo. Yes, I agree with you on that, RB. Well, like, people are calling it the greatest halftime show of all time. I'm like, eh. I always watch the halftime show. Like To me, it's like, Prince, maybe U2, Lady Gaga. The U2 thing is about like the, the 9-11 had happened and they had the names and that was just like emotional and shit. I don't know if I'd call it the greatest. It wasn't bad though. It wasn't bad. I enjoyed Kendrick Lamar. I enjoyed Mary J. Blige. Those are my two favorites. 50 Cent, eh. But I mean, it was it was a... It was the greatest hits of Dr. Dre, so I, I'm assuming you got to include in the club doing Dr. Dre's greatest hit. Uh, hear about the right wing complaining about celebrities being maskless at the Super Bowl. 
I'm going to tackle the actual issue with the Super Bowl is that it was in SoFi Stadium. I did not know what SoFi was. I thought it was a beverage that Pepsi Company was producing. No, 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 no. It is a, a student loan lender. And a pretty shitty one at that. So we're going to we're gonna delve into that. Bernie Sanders had an excellent tr- uh, tweet during the Super Bowl. Avocado imports have been suspended after a threatening phone call. We're gonna we're gonna get into that. They're not importing avocados from Mexico anymore. So the price of your avocado toast is gonna go up. Judge is throwing out the Sarah Palin lawsuit against the New York Times as well as they should. We're gonna hear about the court filing in the Durham investigation. This is the guy that's looking into the origins of the Russian investigation. The 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 whole Steele dossier, Hillary Clinton. People are, are declaring, oh, Trump was right about everything. He was being spied on by the Democrats. We're gonna get into that. Oh fuck. We're gonna we're gonna watch video of the Loudoun County, Virginia school board being served affidavits in relation to a lawsuit about masks. We're going to hear from both sides of the masking argument in Loudoun County. GOP senators signing a letter today about mandates. See what the fuck they're even talking about, as if there's mandates going on in this country. We're going to have to talk about the quote-unquote freedom convoy in Canada. Multiple people arrested with a weapons cache. Justin Trudeau uh, gave a speech earlier today. We're going to hear some of his comments. Uh, Dr. Hotez. By the way, I, I fucked his name up. I called him Dr. Hotep the other day because I'm... I've got a mind like Swiss cheese here. I forget shit easily. Dr. Hotez is going to tell us why Pfizer has backed off of their approval for the vaccine for kids under five. Senator Lejeune is going to be back after a stroke. What that means for the Democrats moving forward with their Supreme Court pick. The Fed looking to become more hawkish. With interest rates going forward, plus we're going to talk about the financial crisis in Afghanistan spurred on by the Biden administration, but starting off tonight, we actually have a date for what could be the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I didn't call it the Ukraine that time. We are starting with breaking news on the crisis in Ukraine. President Vladimir Zelensky now saying Russia could attack as soon as Wednesday. NBC News foreign correspondent Matt Bradley is in Dnipro, Ukraine. Matt, President Zelensky saying in a Facebook post that February 16th, that's this Wednesday, will be the day of the attack. What do you know about that timeline? Okay, I got to tell you, Allison, this has actually been a major point of contention and a major topic of discussion that we've been having here uh, with our colleagues who speak Ukrainian. There is something lost in translation here. Um, when he said that this was going to be on February 16th, he was told this. It's all Gouda. The entire Good world one, Ginger. Was told this through anonymous sources reported in an Associated Press article, not today, not yesterday, but several days ago. So this is not news. This is something that he is saying and actually... This 
uh, comedian turned president is saying this with a bit of sardonic, you know, uh, jest with some irony. It is not uh, him parroting a line that February 16th is going to be the date of the invasion. He's actually referring to media reports. And that's why he's calling this the day of unity. He says elsewhere in his speech that we've been told this before. In many ways, this does, though, represent a major shift in tone from President Zelensky, who up until now has been really pouring a lot of cold water on all of yes. these reports. The increasingly alarmist reports coming out of Washington and other Western capitals saying that there will be an imminent invasion. But he is still calling for calm. And he is still saying... Good on him. In a way, ridiculing some of these intelligence assessments, even if he is telling Ukrainians to stand strong in the face of fear. Allison? All right. So, Matt, let's just be really clear on this, because I think so many people... Thank God the headline wasn't correct on this. He was putting a deadline down on Wednesday. How should our viewers understand what we just heard from President Zelensky? Yeah. Our viewers, I think, should understand this not as President Zelensky's deadline, not as President Zelensky's date. This is a date that has been told to President Zelensky and one that he probably would like to not believe. But he is saying this with a bit of jest, with a bit of mockery. Remember, this is a comedian. This is an actor. This is a man who has, up until now, not really believed these intelligence assessments. He's believed them. He's been appreciative of them on a certain level. But mm -hmm. he sees the alarming specificity of them as something that should be we should be skeptical of, that Ukrainians should be skeptical of. And I got to tell you, Allison, and I've been telling this to everybody mm -hmm. time and time again, this government, this public... They are tired of being told when to expect their own destruction. That is something that is their frustration has been, you know, yeah. betrayed. Well, I don't blame them. And this speech, while it's hard to determine that when you see the written translation into English, it's very important to note that this is not necessarily mm -hmm. President Zelensky saying that the invasion will come on February 16th. He doesn't know that. A lot of the other American officials who have been all over the Sunday talk shows yesterday do not know that. They have been distancing themselves from these assessments. They've been saying with great alarm that an attack will come very soon. But this Wednesday date, and, and Allison, maybe the Russians will invade on Wednesday. I don't know. But I think a lot of these people don't know either. And that's something that we really yeah. have to keep in mind. There needs to be... Well, apparently Russia usually like primes their citizens for watching our YouTube channel. It's really hyper-nationalistic leading into invasions like that, like they did in, in uh, 2012, 2014. That hasn't happened. Now, the U.S. has been all on the saber-rattling. Pentagon orders departure of some U.S. troops in Ukraine as crisis escalates. Pentagon is pulling, uh, pulling nearly 160 members of the Florida National Guard from Ukraine as top U.S. officials publicly warn a Russian invasion could be imminent. The withdrawal of U.S. military uh, trainers underscores growing concern among U.S. officials that Russian military forces could invade Ukraine any day. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin ordered a temporary repositioning of the members of the Florida Army National Guard to elsewhere in Europe. Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby said in a statement, according to the New York Times. The Biden administration said Friday that it would deploy an additional 3,000 soldiers from the 82nd Airborne Division to bolster NATO defenses in Poland, according to the Washington Post. Now, yesterday, Biden and Zelensky apparently had a call. This is Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky we were just hearing about. 
They agreed on the importance of diplomacy and deterrence. Mid-Russian buildup. The 50-minute call comes a day after Biden spoke by phone with Vladimir Putin, warning the Russian president that the U.S. and allies will respond decisively and impose swift and severe costs if Russia invades Ukraine. Biden and Zelensky have not always been on the same page regarding how imminent the threat of a Russian invasion might be. We have seen over the course of the past 10 days a dramatic escalation in buildup, I'm sorry, acceleration in the buildup of Russian forces, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said on Face the Nation on Sunday. said the disposition of those forces suggests Russia could attack essentially at any time, but it still awaits the go order. Biden made clear that the United States would respond swiftly and decisively together with its allies and partners to any further Russian aggression against Ukraine, according to a readout of the call. Meanwhile, uh, several people are comparing the buildup to this supposed invasion to the buildup to the Iraq war. Uh, the what is this guy? National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan responded to reporters' questions on Friday about this very thing. And the concern that you're, you're weighing towards the American people, is there a need to provide some underlying evidence of just what you're seeing that shows Americans this is a country that went through... Evidence? We don't need no damn evidence. ...concerns about what the intelligence is showing. Does the administration see a need to just provide underlying intelligence? Well, let me just start with a fundamental distinction between the situation in Iraq and the situation today. In the situation in Iraq, intelligence was used and deployed from this very podium to start a war. We are trying to stop a war, to prevent a war, to avert a war. And all we can do is come here before you and give good faith and share everything that we know to the best of our ability while protecting sources and methods so we continue to get the access to intelligence we need. But there's another big difference between what happened in 2003 and what's happening in 2022. And that is, in that case, it was information about intentions, about uh, hidden things, stuff that couldn't be seen. Today, we are talking about more than 100,000 Russian troops amassed along the Ukrainian border with every capacity out there in the open for people to see. It's all over social media. It's all over your news sites. So you can believe your own eyes that the Russians have put in place the capability I haven't to seen a massive it. military operation against Ukraine should they choose to do so. And then finally, I would just say if you look at the course of the past few months, as we have said, we predict there will be a buildup of this kind. I want, I want a source that's not the New York Times or the, the Wall Russians Street are Journal. likely to move in these ways. Thus far, in November, in December, in January, that has borne out. So I think when you take all of that together, we put forward a credible case. But it's not my job to stand up here and convince any of you of anything. It's, it's your job to ask the questions and do what you can do. All I can do is, based on the best information I have available, that I can share, that the President can share, the Secretary of State can share, put that out there uh, in close consultation with our allies and partners. That's what we've done. The Hindus, the first uh, news organization I can find that's not the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, it is citing the U.S. as saying 
130,000 Russian troops now staged outside Ukraine. I'm I'm still not seeing independent source verifying this. I don't trust the BBC either. Uh, Trinform says, according to the Defense Ministry, 32,000 Russian troops are stationed in occupied Crimea. I mean, Jake Sullivan said that, oh, you can see it for yourself. I'm not seeing any news source making the claim. That's what I'm saying. They're all saying the claims are coming from the U.S. That's I want I want verification on that. We'll get back to that. Uh, let's hear from Senator Marco Rubio on his thoughts about Russia. I had a lot of people this weekend ask me about Ukraine. Why does it matter? What should we do about it? Why do we care? Well, first of all, why it matters is because Beijing and Moscow are making an argument that they want a new world order. A world order in where big, powerful countries like them get to dominate their region. And their countries that are neighboring them are basically underneath them. Have- so so they want they want to act like the U.S. Happy Valentine's, Battle Opossum. Welcome. So they, they want to act like the U.S. <laughs> that's, that's basically what they're saying. Have to be under their power and control. And further into that argument, Vladimir Putin has decided he needs to take Ukraine. And he's prepared to do it by military force and by invasion. And we need to respond to that. If there isn't real consequences for doing that, then that would be admitting that this is okay, that this is the world we're going to live in. And it will lead to more places like that. Now, that response is not going to be military force. We are not and should not send American soldiers to Ukraine to fight Russia in a war. That's not what we're talking about. And so, but there has to be real consequences. Now, the second part of the problem is that this is a very dangerous situation because it could rapidly escalate in ways that could lead to catastrophe. Right now, as I speak, Russia is conducting the largest military exercise since the end of the Cold War. They've, they've mobilized their army, their navy, their air force, even their nuclear forces. I'm doubting that's true. The U.S. has to have been the ones conducting military exercises, the largest since the Cold War. The largest military exercise since the end of the Cold War. I mean, the U.S. has to, has to have conducted more military exercises that are larger than the one Russia is conducting right now. Cold War. They've, they've mobilized their army, their navy, their air force, even their nuclear forces, and they're deploying them for live fire exercises in the Baltic Sea, in the Black Sea, in the Mediterranean, in neighboring Romania and, and Poland, and also uh, Lithuania, and, and of course across the borders of Ukraine. And it is with that heightened alert that then NATO has to go on heightened alert because you can't have a Russian mobilization on one side and not, not at least take some precautions. And it's in that tense environment that Putin's going to go in and conduct not live exercises, but a real invasion. So right there, the possibility of miscalculation exists. That one side thinks that the move the other side is making is an attack, and suddenly you have war. Dip! Welcome! Thank you for the raid. The minute he invades, Russia's economy is going to get hit with sanctions. It's crippling sanctions. I thought you were playing Far Cry Primal. You were talking about that last night. We would respond to that with our own cyber attack. And back and forth it goes, and the escalation would continue until 
in a very dangerous way, one of the two sides concludes that the next move left in the escalatory chain is a military move, and then we're on the edge of war. And so even as we impose crippling sanctions and consequences for an invasion, we cannot allow this to escalate and become something far more dangerous and catastrophic. Wait, 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 wait. Does Biden want war by Tucker Carlson? Let's hear it. Let's hear what he's After got to say. After months of informing the rest of us that Ukraine's territorial integrity is more important than our own, it looks like the Biden administration may finally be getting the conflict it has longed for. Tucker's on the right side on this one, isn't he? But not for the right reasons. ...may soon move across the border into eastern Ukraine. There are a number of credible indications of this, including the fact that Russian ground forces appear to be heading from training areas to assembly points. At the White House, officials have said they expect the Russians to move imminently within days. They've been saying that for quite some time, but this feels... Boy, howdy! ...which is why we're bringing it to you tonight. According to Politico, Joe Biden has told fellow NATO members that day could be February 16th. That's next Wednesday. We'll see. Once again, that, that appears to be nonsense. ...called for American citizens to leave Ukraine right away. We encourage all American citizens who remain in Ukraine to depart. The, the 16th thing was a mistranslation, as we heard earlier. This point. Any American in Ukraine should leave as soon as possible, and in any event, in the next 24 to 48 hours. We obviously cannot predict the future. We don't know exactly what is going to happen. But the risk is now high enough, and the threat is now immediate enough, that this is what prudence demands. So a good number of the Americans, Jake. Well, there was a there was a producer in, in Tucker's studio laughing. Intelligence agencies, maybe a cameraman. I don't know. As of a few days ago, there are more than three hundred American troops in Ukraine, including Tucker doing a comedy show now of special operations forces. If a hot war does indeed begin, all of these Americans will be in danger of being killed. So the question is, will our troops leave before the shooting starts? This show asked the DOD spokesman, John Kirby, that question today. Quote, as of this moment, Kirby replied, they are still there. So when will they get out, we asked. Kirby wouldn't say. Whatever happens between Russia and Ukraine, the United States will be at the center of it. And that's worrisome. It's not hard to imagine. I don't know why. Very wrong, very fast. Russian troops kill American troops, inadvertently or not, and suddenly we're at war with Russia a nuclear-armed nation whose military is stronger than all the armies we've fought over the past 50 years combined. Fighting Russia is not the same as droning Muammar Gaddafi. It could quickly become a war we couldn't control. Our side of that war would be overseen by the same general... Unlike the other wars that have been going on the last 20 years that we couldn't control. To be clear, the United States military is superb, but the people who run it are not. That's not some outlier opinion. It's demonstrably true. Given that... Got to <laughs> the administration's current wild posture, and it is wild, is it worth the risk? We're open-minded on that question. If it's worth fighting Russia, tell, tell us how it's worth it. Explain how joining a conflict in progress in Eastern Europe would benefit the United States. Not just benefit Joe Biden, who's obviously desperate for distraction from his domestic disasters, but how would war with Russia make us stronger and more prosperous? That's a fair question. It's the central question. And while you're at it, tell us why, if the Russians... Well, it's not going to. It's going to make defense contractors more prosperous. ...than we are. Biden keeps suggesting that Vladimir Putin wants to swallow Western Europe. If we don't act now, they'll be speaking Russian in Dusseldorf. But if that's true, 
Why aren't the Western Europeans scrambling to defend themselves? They could certainly afford to. Germany is one of the richest countries in the world. In many ways, Germans have a higher living of sta standard of living than we do. Yet after 80 years, we are still paying for their defense. Is there a good reason for that? Yeah, because we dismantled their defense. Do you remember World War II, Tucker? Other goals. Goals that we decided not to let Germany rearm itself. Again, it is worth asking those questions. Does Tucker really not know this? Or is he just playing stupid for a stupid audience? And then demanding clear and logical answers to them. In fact, it's essential to do that. A lot hangs in the balance. In the current environment, however, it's not easy. Skepticism is immediately disnounced as disloyalty. Ask why we ought to fight Putin and the hyenas on CNN will accuse you of working for Putin. Take it from us. We're going to keep asking anyway. For a rational conversation on this subject, we're honored tonight to be joined by a rational person. Tucker! Former Democratic Congresswoman from Hawaii, Tulsi Gabbard. Of course it's Tulsi Gabbard. Thank you. So let's just, and it's hard to know what to believe always and especially now, but let's just stipulate, agree to agree, that it seems likely we could see some conflict between Russia and Ukraine soon. How should we view that? Oh, well, first of all, Biden, President Biden could end this crisis and prevent a war uh, with Russia by doing something very simple, guaranteeing that Ukraine will not become a member of NATO. Because if Ukraine became a member of NATO, that would put... That, that was a guarantee put in place by George W. Bush, by the way. As Putin has laid out, would undermine their national security interests. Uh, the reality Let's is disband NATO. highly, highly unlikely that Ukraine will ever become a member of NATO anyway. So the question is, why doesn't President Biden and, and NATO leaders actually just say that yes. and guarantee it? Which, which begs the question of, of why are we in this position then? Uh, if, if the answer to this and preventing this war from happening is, is very clear as day, and, and, and really it just points to one conclusion that I can see, which is... Is it, though? Is it, now, here's the thing, is like, apparently Putin is very um, nostalgic for the Soviet Union. There are factions of Ukraine that are sympathetic to Russia, that want to be part of Russia, this is more complicated than they're making it out to be. Just saying that Ukraine will not join NATO is not going to stop Putin, who is, like, waxed poetically about reunifying the Soviet countries with Russia. So, wrong, Tulsi. Ukraine. Why would they? Because, number one, it gives the Biden administration a clear excuse to go and levy draconian sanctions, which are a modern-day siege against Russia and the Russian people. And, number two, it cements this Cold War in place. Uh, you know, the, the military-industrial complex is the one that benefits from this. They I'll agree with you on that. The Biden administration, warmongers on both sides in Washington have been drumming, drumming up these tensions if if they get Russia to invade Ukraine, then uh, again, it locks in this new Cold War. The military industrial complex starts to make a ton of more money than than they have been in fighting uh, Al Qaeda or, or making weapons for Al Qaeda. And who pays the price? The American people pay the price. The Ukrainian people pay, pay the price. I will Russia. agree with Tulsi there. Undermines our own national security, but the military industrial complex that controls so many of our politicians 
wince. And they, they got to feed the, the war machine. You've seen this from both sides as a lawmaker and a member of our armed forces. So I think you've got a credible view on this. I, I just have to ask. They've been telling us with increasing hysteria. There you go, Dib. Broken clock. Jake Sullivan and the president himself that the threat here is to Western Europe. The, but I mean, uh, that has, that has position been. is a position that she has held about the military industrial complex. Like, that's one of the few views she hasn't changed her stance on. So, good on you, Tulsi. Teams on our allies in Western Europe. Why don't the Europeans seem as afraid as our leaders are, if that's true? I think that is a legitimate question that no one in the Biden administration or the NATO leadership has responded to in any way. Uh, It seems they've forgotten that they are supposed to be accountable to the American people, that they answer to the American people. And yet they they have failed to answer this very, very simple question in justifying why we are continuing to send more troops uh, to Europe, why they are continuing to escalate tensions, why they are continuing to push for something and in, uh, you know, making Ukraine a member of NATO that, again, is highly unlikely to ever happen. And if it did happen, it would undermine our own national security and our own country's interests. I, there doesn't seem an upside. I mean, no one has been able to explain why Americans should want Ukraine to join NATO. Is there something that we're missing here? Is there some benefit to the United States from having that happen? I've looked at this carefully, Tucker, and I have yet to find any benefit. What's, what's the benefit to having NATO, period? Or could use to justify this to the American people. All you hear is like, well, we have to defend democracy. We have to defend this democratic country of Ukraine. But as you know very well, uh, this current president, you know, shuts down, politi- arrests political opposition, throws them in yep. jail, shuts down TV stations that are critical to him. Uh, I, I have a hard time seeing how President Biden or anyone can... You're talking about Putin, right? Not Biden. We are defending democracy. And the reason is because our own government has publicly supported these authoritarian actions by the Ukrainian president in shutting down their own political opposition. Well, Tucker that you're sitting next to was filleting Viktor Orban, what, just six months ago, eight months ago? And it begs the question, uh, this sounds familiar to some of the things that unfortunately we're seeing play out right here at home. I was, about, I was just about to say, it sounds like their kind of democracy. <laughs> their kind of democracy. Like the democracy that we spread to Afghanistan. Talk about the crisis in Afghanistan. The last time we got into a war. Reading first from Voice of America, and then we're going to read from Al Jazeera. Wanted to make sure that we got both perspectives on this. Humanitarians fear Afghan hunger crisis could kill more than war. Six months after the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan, humanitarians fear a growing hunger crisis could kill more Afghans in the preceding 20 years of war. They're selling their organs. People are selling their children. They are desperate. They are hungry. And the situation is very, very dire. This is according to UN Resident Humanitarian Coordinator for Afghanistan, uh, Ramez Alkabarov, Alkabarov, who told VOA from Kabul recently, nearly two-thirds of the population, about 23 million people, need humanitarian assistance That's up from 30% just one year ago. And their need is urgent. The World Food Program says that 9 million Afghans are just one step from famine. 
It's just extraordinary the speed and the degree to which the situation has affected every uh, everyone in the country. According to the WFP regional deputy director, Anita Webb, the country's economy is in free fall. Billions in foreign assistance that propped up the national budget dried up when the Taliban seized power. The population is also suffering from the combined effects of years of conflict, the COVID-19 pandemic, and successive severe droughts. So it's really disaster on top of disaster on top of disaster, Webb said. She noted that acute hunger is not limited to remote parts of the country. The new face of hunger in Afghanistan, it's in, it is urban and educated. The Taliban seized power on August 15th of last year. Humanitarians worried they might not be allowed to continue working in the country. The Taliban have recognized that they need the international aid community and have allowed humanitarians to work largely unimpeded. Groups say due to the end of active conflict, access has actually improved in some parts of the country. We have access to places where we could not reach before because of constant crossfire, constant restrictions due to the fighting, said Norwegian uh, Refugee Council Security uh, General Jan uh, Eglund. He told VOA that work has been smooth in urban centers like Kabul, that his staff can face challenges in more conservative regions where local Taliban commanders are more restrictive. The situation is not ideal everywhere in some province, uh, in some provinces, the situation is better in some provinces. It's less. They're able to work through the huddles. The United Nations has been scaling up its assistance over the past six months. In 2021, it reached about 19.6 million people. And since August 15th, about 8 million people with food and medical assistance. Hey, where's Elon Musk? I thought he said he would pony up the money to uh, end world hunger. And he was presented a plan. I never... Uh, Never heard a follow-up to that. Getting food, supplies, and staff to all of Afghanistan's 34 provinces is a Herculean task. Supplies for the UN and NGOs come by land and air through countries including Iran, Pakistan, uh, Tajikistan, Qatar, and Uzbekistan. The UFP is moving about 100,000 tons of food per month. In January, the agency had more than 300 trucks a day on the road. Carrying supplies, that number could go up to 500 as the response scales up. The contents of the food baskets are very basic. Webb said they contain about one cup of wheat flour, half a cup of beans, a tablespoon of cooking oil, and a pinch of salt per person. Insufficient funding could see these meager rations shrink even further. Uh, We're not mentioning the U.S., Oh, here we go, here we go. Main obstacles that humanitarians are trying to work around is the rapidly collapsing Afghan economy. We didn't leave, Eglin says, of the Norwegian Refugee Council. Our 1,400 workers are on the ground, but they're working with their hands tied behind their back. Since the U.S. withdrawal, Washington stopped shipping dollars into the country, causing a cash crisis, which has affected both humanitarian organizations and ordinary Afghans. Washington has also... Frozen about $9.5 billion in Afghan foreign reserves held in the United States to keep the Taliban from accessing it. $7 billion of that money is held by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Some relatives of 9-11 victims have sought to gain access to it since the Taliban takeover. They pay out compensation claims. On Friday, President Joe Biden signed an executive order 
that will keep half of that money frozen for potential lawsuits and facilitate access to the other $3.5 billion to assist the Afghan people. Now this was this is Afghanistan Afghani money. Even before Friday's announcement, the Biden administration had taken steps to allow for humanitarian operations to continue, making changes to U.S. law and following it up with a resolution at the U.N. Security Council. BOA article actually did a pretty good job outlining this. Go a couple days back. This was an article from today. Let's go a couple days back from Al Jazeera. World Health Organization chief Taliban discussed dire Afghan health crisis. Tedros uh, Adahum, uh, I always fuck his name up. I'm so sorry, dude. Gabrissus met the Taliban health minister who is part of the Taliban delegation currently visiting Switzerland. Head of the World Health Organization said on Wednesday he had met with health minister in the Taliban-led government in Afghanistan for talks on the dire health and humanitarian crisis in the country. Uh, revealed that he met with uh, Quilander Ebad for talks on Tuesday. Ebad is part of a Taliban delegation visiting Geneva for a week of talks. Institutions and non-governmental agencies on humanitarian access and humanitarian rights or and human rights as Afghanistan's new rulers expand their international engagement. The Taliban movement returned to power in Kabul in mid-August as the United States ended its 20-year war in Afghanistan. Since then, Afghanistan has plunged into financial chaos with inflation and unemployment surging while the halting of aid and U.S. sanctions has triggered a humanitarian crisis in a country already devastated by decades, decades of war. Heart background on Friday. What's, it's not going to be... not going to be... Uh, Valentine's Day on Friday, but I mean, yeah, I can make a heart background for you if you want. But some improvements since then, the health situation in Afghanistan is still dire, and the acute humanitarian crisis is uh, continuing to put lives at risk. Actually, the the VOA article did a better job of describing exactly the U.S. Uh, the U.S.'s hand in contributing to the crisis. I don't get laid ever, so I mean that's not true. And we have found out from a declassified document that the Biden administration was incredibly indecisive when it came to Afghanistan back in August. Classified U.S. military analysis of the calamitous exit. I calamitous like what what happened was going to happen no matter who was in charge or what happened. Declassified U.S. military analysis of the calamitous exit from Afghanistan detail repeated instances of friction between American troops and diplomats before and during the evacuation, including the indecisiveness among Biden administration officials and initial reluctance to shutter the embassy in Kabul sowed chaos and put the overall mission at increased risk. Two after-action reports were prepared by officials assigned to U.S. Central Command in September, about three weeks after the final plane load of military personnel departed Hamid Karzai International Airport. 
assessments appear to affirm separate accounts of senior U.S. commanders frustrated by what they characterize as sloppy, misguided management of the withdrawal. The Washington Post first reported on Tuesday military leaders who coordinated the evacuation fault officials in the, in the White House and the State Department who, they say, failed to respect the Taliban's swift advance last year and resisted pleas from the military to prepare for an evacuation weeks before Kabul's fall. Declassified after action analysis analyses are contained within an official report detailing the military's investigation of an August 26 suicide bombing outside the airport's Abbey Gate that killed an estimated 170 Afghans and 13 U.S. service members. The report, obtained by the Washington Post through a Freedom of Information Act request, comprises dozens of witnesses, uh, witness interviews, finding a fact, and other official government records. Spanning 2,000 pages, it presents the most extensive, unvarnished account to date of the United States' uh, 17-day race to end its longest war. Distance of the after-action reports contradicts claims made Friday by White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, who has joined President Biden and other administration officials in seeking to downplay the significance of U.S. commanders' remarks. I think it's important for people to understand that there was no after-action report, Saki told reporters in, a, in the White House briefing room. National Security uh, Council official who, like some other officials, spoke on the condition of anonymity because of the sensitivity of the issue, said Saturday that Saki's statements from the podium referred to a forthcoming, more extensive review of the war's endgame. People have wrongly conflated the Abbey Gate report and documents released to the Washington Post with the Pentagon's after-action review of Afghanistan, a broad report that will examine the final months of America's longest war, beginning in February of 2020 said referencing the month that President Donald Trump made a deal with the Taliban, setting the stage for a withdrawal of all U.S. troops. The Biden administration has pointed to that deal, which Trump agreed to pull out all U.S. troops by May 2021, explaining part of his rationale for leaving Afghanistan. During a months-long review, Biden delayed the final exit until September, but followed through nonetheless, saying that Americans had sacrificed enough. NSC official said the White House stands by the findings of the Abbey Gate investigation. It concluded that the August 26th attack was carried out by a lone Islamic State operative who had a bomb rigged with ball bearings to cause catastrophic carnage in a packed outdoor corridor just outside the airport. Everything sucks. Everything the U.S. touches now let's see what the Federal Reserve can do with the U.S. economy. Apparently not doing too well if you're looking at the markets. The Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ are down. We're going to hear this uh, from CNN about the Fed and their more hawkish moves. Inflation is still running hot. This is the fastest consumer. Corporations are still reporting record profits. Inflation. Inflation, the fastest rate of price increases we've seen for just about everything since... USA! USA! The headline number for you, 7.5% 
That is the inflation rate year over year. When you look at the month, 0.6%, that means how much prices rose from December to January. That is faster than many economists had expected. We had thought that these numbers were starting to, month over month, moderate. Not the case last month. And here's why. Food, electricity, shelter. You saw a lot of things that were a lot more expensive in the January. The ultimate playground. A year ago, among them gas. I concur. Year over year. You saw some moderation on that month to month, but I don't expect that to continue. Used car prices up more than 40% year over year. I mean, think of that. If you're trying to buy a used car today compared with last year, that is a huge change. Food at home, 7.4%. Meat up 13.6%. And I've been looking into the electricity and the shelter part of these numbers, also running hot. Incredibly important because you can't switch your menu to fix those things, right? You can't switch your heat source necessarily. So that or your power source necessarily. So those are kind of... Yes, landlords are parasites as well. American families. So a new 40-year high on this inflation rate. Uh, a lot of folks will be saying, what, what is the administration doing about it? The job of fighting inflation is the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve will likely start raising interest rates. This adds more kind of conversation or more uh, more evidence to this big debate happening. How quickly will the Fed start raising? There is a fantastic, I believe it's a PBS frontline, about the Fed and quantitative easing. The feeding of free money to these corporations has been going on since about 2009, 2010. I highly recommend you watch it. Uh, Every time that the Fed has tried to pull back on this quantitative easing, it hasn't been an easing, it's just so much giving out free money. Uh, The corporations and the banks uh, balk at the idea and say they're pretty much going to crash the economy if they don't get their way. So we're going to see exactly the steps that the Fed takes in the face of this rising inflation. They should have raised interest rates years ago interest rates and when ironically the solution to fast inflation is raising interest rates for american consumers which raises their borrowing costs so the solution to this is something that americans will feel in their pocketbook as well left out an awful lot of details in that wall street turned sharply lower ah fuck wall street everybody united states senator so now the Democrats were down a senator over the last few weeks. Senator Lejeune had a stroke. And uh, the Democrats did not have a majority for the time that he was in the hospital. This is his announcement that he will be heading back to work. Senator ben Ray Lujan here. Let me begin by expressing... Oh, I'm sorry. I fucked his name up. Lujan. The outpouring of support my family and I have received from across New Mexico and around America from my neighbors in Nambea to colleagues in Washington, D.C. Your prayers, your words, your daily videos, your words of encouragement have been so reassuring and have given me a lot of strength. I'm especially grateful for the medical staff here at the University of Mexico Hospital and at Christus St. Vincent in Santa Fe for their excellent care, especially Dr. Torbe and Dr. Elias. Uh, Dr. Elias uh, did a little bit of surgery and helped me out with quite a few things. Today we have Dr. Torbe and Dr. Green and really excited to learn from them and hear from them. I'm doing well. I'm strong. I'm back on the road to recovery and uh, I'm going to make a full recovery. I'm going to walk out of here. I'm going to beat this and I'm going to be stronger once I come out. 
after I leave UNM hospital, I'll be able to be sent to an inpatient rehabilitation facility so that I can conclude my recovery. And that's gonna take a few more weeks. Now I'm proud to report, then I'll be back on the floor of the United States Senate in just a few short weeks to vote on important legislation and to- Such as the Supreme, Supreme Court, Court nominee. nominee. Now rest assured, New Mexicans can know they will have a voice and a vote during this process. That has never changed. Now throughout my recovery, my Senate office has remained open and we've been working to provide constituent services throughout New Mexico during this entire time. It's a priority of mine, as you know, it will always be a priority that will never change. Um, again, thank you for your prayers, for your well wishes, um, for a speedy recovery. Um, let's work together. Let's learn from these stories and these examples. We will be back in the Senate. The, the Democrats have been down a vote. They actually did not have a majority last couple of weeks, which is kind of a big deal. Move on to COVID. Tonight, COVID vaccine. The Pfizer vaccine, the FDA delayed the emergency authorization of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine for kids under five. Dr. Hotel. Now, I have been correct with my assessments about this pandemic all along. I'm on video. This this show started at the beginning of the pandemic. I, that wasn't in, intentional. It just happened to coincide. I was starting the show on 4-20-2020. No matter what. But it just happened to coincide with the beginning of the pandemic as well. But I've been right about the pandemic all along. And the reason I've been right is because I've listened to two doctors in particular. One is Dr. Hotez, who we're getting ready to hear from. The other is Dr. Osterholm. Those are the two people that you should get your information from, and then you'll be right about things as well. Everybody else, I would uh, not trust. Those two. Those two are uh, deserving of your trust. And Hotez went on CNN to explain the delay in the authorization for kids under five for the Pfizer vaccine. For children under five are being delayed. They were set to be authorized in just a few days. Pfizer now saying it needs more time to gather data on whether three doses of its vaccine may be better than two. Not referring to the third as a booster, but as to whether it would be a, you know, three, three shots for those young children. Out front now, Dr. Peter Hotez, co-director of the Center for Vaccine Development. I did call him Hotep the other day. I apologize for that. Tropical medicine at the Baylor College of Medicine. And doctor, I always... My brain is Swiss cheese. You know, I, I say this cautiously because, you know, you want our, our system in this country is based upon, you know, that they do the studies and they take the time they need to take. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. However, when everyone is under the expectation that it's all done and we're going to find out in a few days and all of a sudden it's, wait a minute, we're not ready. We need a whole lot more data that can cause people to lose a little bit of confidence. Right. I mean, what's happening here? Yeah, and I think there's also a lot of disappointment. A lot of parents were really hoping they were going to protect their kids under the age of five. Uh, I think there's a few things that were going on. First of all, we've known for a while that this was going to be a three-dose vaccine, and the two doses just weren't cutting it in terms of a level of immune response needed to protect, partly because we went way down on the dose from from 30 micrograms in adults to 10 micrograms in the 5 to 11, out to 3 micrograms in the under 5. And for the 2 to 4-year-olds, it just wasn't as 
immunogenic as needed uh, to induce a strong immune response in the two to four-year-old. So we knew it was going to be a three-dose for a while, but I think there was some additional data that gave some optimism. The Washington Post is reporting that last night a tranche of data came in that said, no, you know, the two doses really aren't going to get, uh, aren't giving enough of an immune response to make people feel comfortable. They really want to wait for that third dose data. I think the other thing that happened, Aaron, although that's not being said as such, is the fact that Omicron wave is is decelerating as fast as it went up. And so I think people are feeling maybe in the regulatory side, maybe a little less urgency. Mm. If, you know, the BA2 variant were here and there was a screaming level of transmission, that might have forced their hand to to move forward with two doses anyway and the hope that the third dose would give that adequate immune response. But I think that one-two punch of Hmm. the fact that the new tranche of data coming in and the fact that the Omicron wave is going down made people say... It does seem to be decreasing even in places where, you know, deaths are still incredibly high. Like here in my state of Alabama. This is for for everyone, you know, older than than five. Cases are decreasing. Effectiveness wanes substantially after just... For months now, I understand, you know, still very effective at preventing hospitalization, but a lot of people hear that and they say, okay, I'm just not going to be going in and getting a booster every four months. I, 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 you know, I think people aren't even getting the first one at the levels we need in this country. Never mind asking them to go in every four months. So how do you interpret this data? And does it, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, bum you out a little bit? Well, you know, we had a hint of this because there was modeling data out of Imperial College London back in December showing exactly this, that the protection after the third dose was waning pretty fast. Dr. Bubba Hotep. was on that basis. That movie's weird. Let's give a second immunization, a fourth dose to the healthcare workers to keep them in the workforce. So the the data coming out of the CDC, published in the MMWR today, pretty much reinforces that. What's happening now about uh, after... Two doses, still very strong. After two months, still very strong after the third immunization, that booster. But after four months, it's going down to 78% house protection. Hotez is the only man in a bow tie you should trust. Or so against emergency room visits. Still very good, but not as strong as it was. So in Israel now, they've decided to move towards a fourth dose, a second immunization for certain age groups. We might do that in the United States. But I think you're, you're more profound and probing question is what's how are we going to move forward how are we moving forward is this going to be something in perpetuity that we're going to need to boost every few months which could be pretty unwieldy and i think we just don't know we don't know two probably th- one, is this decline in immune protection due to the omicron variant or is there something fundamental to the rna vaccine technology and that's something that everyone's going to have to take a hard look at now uh well, in the next in the next few months i mean you know you you I'm just assuming it's going to be a yearly or, like, bi-yearly shot. In a country that's been so deeply divided over how to handle COVID and mask mandates, most states are now on the... That was a weird cut. Two years later. We can safely make this shift, which will also put us in in line with other New England states. Rhode Island and Delaware, the latest Democratic-led states to join the growing list of states doing away with mask mandates, leaving just six states with mask mandates in place, plus Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. We're the second uh, most vaccinated state in the country right now. We're the third most um, boosted uh, in the state in the country. 
governors in growing numbers turning to their own metrics for how and when to move forward. Now, apparently they handed out masks at the Super Bowl, but not many people wore them. The CDC they were required. Encouraged the use of masks, citing high or substantial COVID transmission in 99% of the nation's counties. Deaths remain disturbingly high. On average, more than 2,500 Americans losing their lives daily. And the pace of Americans taking extra steps to protect themselves by getting booster shots has slowed. It's now at its lowest point since the end of September. A sign, perhaps, that the precautions people do or don't take will increasingly be based on personal tolerance for the risk of getting COVID. The thing that we are doing right now is we're yo-yoing, right? We're, we're going from being from having lots of mask mandates to opening up completely, potentially. It's things like vaccinations and things like testing that are going to keep us from having to keep yo-yoing back and forth. Still, tensions remain. A man at a hot dog shop in Chicago, seen in this video, throwing snow, then smashing glass. What the fuck? He asked him to wear a mask. And Jesus Christ. Vaccines for children under five, they aren't likely to come before April. Vaccine advisors will wait to review data on three doses of the vaccine versus just two. Jake. Alexander Field, thank you so much for joining us now to discuss Dr. Ashish Jha. He's the dean of the Brown University. I've got no problem with, you know, getting a new vaccine every year. And I've got no problem with, with masking. I think we should mask during flu season and shit going forward. Or what could become COVID season now. But hey, there are many people that do have a problem with mask mandates. There's a whole trucker convoy. Here in our mandates. City, families, small businesses have been injured. This is uh, British, uh, British Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau talking about the emergency powers that he's using to quell the protests. Illegal obstruction of their neighborhoods, occupying streets, harassing people, breaking the law. This is not a peaceful protest. At the borders in different parts of the country, the blockades are harming our economy and endangering public safety. Critical supply chains have been disrupted. This is hurting workers who rely on these jobs to feed their families. Despite their best efforts, it is now clear that there are serious challenges to law enforcement's ability to enforce the law. Today, to continue building on these efforts, the federal government is ready to use more tools at its disposal. Did you see my football graphics last night? Fully under control. After discussing with cabinet and caucus, after consultation with premiers from all provinces and territories, after speaking with opposition leaders, the federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act to supplement provincial and territorial capacity to address the blockades and occupations. I want to be very clear. The scope of these measures will be time-limited, geographically targeted, as well as reasonable and proportionate to the threats they are meant to address. The Emergencies Act will be used to strengthen and support law enforcement agencies at all levels 
across the country. We'll talk about the halftime show here in a little bit. Safe, protecting people's jobs, and restoring confidence in our institutions. Heard Trudeau say that these are not peaceful protests, but, you know, Dan Bongino says that uh, they are being mischaracterized. But they're being mischaracterized, these truckers. What can we expect from them, and what's in, what can we expect from this convoy in the United States if it happens, and what's the real objective here? Well, again, March 5th. And they keep threatening a convoy here in the U.S. Supposedly it was going to come to the Super Bowl last night. Never fucking happened. Supposedly it's going to descend on D.C., for Biden's State of the Union address, which is coming up in about two weeks. We're going to gather in Coachella Valley for an all-day event. March 6th, we'll send off the truckers. They will travel east, headed toward Washington, D.C. And it's going to be entirely peaceful. It's going to be a gathering that will gain momentum as it proceeds. And I think it's going to be a gathering that's going to be supported by millions of Americans who come out to, you know, literally make sandwiches for the truck drivers uh, who who come out as they did in Canada with shows of solidarity and support at the roadside. And of course, uh, our, our goal is to demonstrate and to uh, be together in a way that, as we did in Washington, D.C. last month, is entirely peaceful, uh, is entirely focused on our common life together as Americans and healing this culture that, uh, that these forces are trying to divide. Yeah. The truckers that work aren't participating in this. These are owner-operators that are throwing a fucking hissy fit. And let's see what kind of people they actually are. Canadian police arrest 11 people with with massive weapons cache. RCMP say they have arrested and detained 11 people connected with the blockade there. We've got the CBC's Hillary Johnstone tracking the very latest. So, Hillary, take us through what we know. Well, Andrew, RCMP in Alberta say that they became aware of a small organized group within that larger Coots uh, border protest, border blockade, uh, that had weapons, ammunition, and that seemed to indicate that if police were to try and move in and end that blockade, that they might be willing to act. So as a result of all of this, and we've heard from Alberta's Premier Jason Kenney that this investigation has been ongoing for a number of days now, uh, but as a result of all of this, uh, they have arrested and detained 11 people. Um, want to just go through a little bit of what was seized. Some of these items, 13 long guns, handguns, multiple sets of body armor, a machete, a large quantity of ammunition and high capacity magazines. So we understand from the RCMP that they uh, went in and they executed a search warrant in the early hours of this morning, early Monday morning. I want to play a little bit now as well of some of what we've heard from Alberta's premier, Jason Kenney, in response to all of this. Those who have been impatient about enforcement, I ask them to understand that um, this investigation has been ongoing uh, for the past over the past week, and the RCMP obviously did not want to uh, escalate the situation that could provoke uh, potential violence uh, until they had a tactical plan in place at the appropriate time to take enforcement action and to seize these weapons, as they've done early this morning. 
So RCMP have been indicating that they had uh, intelligence, had information that suggested that some of these people in this group were willing to use force against the police if they were to move in and try and disrupt that blockade. Here's a little bit more. I want to read a little bit more uh, of what the police are saying about this group. So, quote, an example of the militant mindset of a small segment of the protest Earlier in the evening, at approximately 8 p.m., now I've seen conflicting reports about whether the police are supporting them or not. The blockade attempted to ram a police vehicle. The police officer was able to reposition and avoid the collision. Uh, it goes on to say that police uh, followed the suspects to a location where the protesters were gathered. The driver of the tractor was identified, and we are actively working to locate him so he can be taken into custody. So, just to give you a little bit more of a sense uh, of what the police are saying right now, we. Just just heard there from the premier, from Jason Kenney. He also went on to say that what has been happening at that Coots border will no longer be tolerated. He called this investigation and what we have just learned about these arrests a delicate security challenge. He also went on to say uh, that his message to anyone who is still at that Coots border that all you've done is inconvenience thousands of hardworking truckers, rather, who've been forced to travel further to try and get around this blockade in the past couple of weeks, uh, and also saying that what we have just learned underscores the severity of what has been happening. So these are these are privileged assholes being funded by right-wing billionaires, the same motherfuckers that are funding COVID misinformation. It's just it's just more unrest being fueled by assholes. Anytime you see a narrative being pushed by all these right-wing outlets with Fox, with all the all the usual suspects, the Daily Wire and shit, amplifying the message, be fucking leery of it. Blockade at the Canadian border begins to clear after police enforcement. This was from yesterday, or two days ago, I'm sorry. On my notes for yesterday's show, the blockade at the U.S.-Canadian border was beginning to dissolve on Saturday, but some protesters still remain after police moved in to try to remove the vaccine mandate protesters. The police intervention was the strongest escalation by authorities after truckers, farmers, and other protesters have blocked roads and portions of the busiest U.S.-Canada border crossing for days, cutting off key delivery routes and leading factories to shut down. The police cleared most of the demonstrators away from the Ambassador Bridge on Saturday morning, while about a dozen vehicles remained, according to the New York Times. Anytime you've got Jordan Peterson on your side... You need to really examine what you're doing. Peterson has a message for the truckers. I've been asked to say a few words to the truckers in Ottawa. And so I've given that some careful consideration. All you protesters, you've accomplished an awful lot already. You know, the conservative leadership has crumbled and Aaron O'Toole has been replaced by someone who is giving a fair bit of voice to your concerns. You now have a voice in the House of Commons. All the people you represent have a voice in the House of Commons. You have four provinces that have moved quite precipitously in the direction that the protest was hoping for. No one asked me to talk either, and I just do it. Something approximating as reasonable a timeline as might be expected under the circumstances. You're now faced with a difficult choice, which is what are your criteria for satisfaction? 
You need to determine that and so that you can negotiate with the necessary people. You're also faced with the danger at the moment. It mandates now. The political process bends in the direction that you've insisted upon. So rightly, in my estimation, more and more of you who are most reasonable are going to pack up and leave or decide that this is done sometime over the next week or so or a couple of weeks. The galaxy brain. But there'll be a remnant that's much more committed in some sense to more extreme goals. And that's going to be something very difficult to manage. Um, I'd like to commend all of you for your diligence and and work on accomplishing what you have accomplished. What have they accomplished? Trying conditions and also for keeping your heads in a way that's actually been a model for the entire world. The fact that you've been able to remain peaceful, you haven't taken the bait, you haven't responded with violence to quite remarkable... They have harassed homeless shelters. They have annoyed the residents by honking and banging gas cans. They had a weapons cache that had to be confiscated. Denigration and provocation, that's a sign of tremendous discipline and care. It's going to get more difficult to maintain as this goes along. So I hope that you're all in this position to uh, allow a sufficient victory to be sufficient. They want freedom. To be grateful for the effect that you've already had and the support that you've received and to move forward to a normative peace and the reestablishment of our country's economy and our psychological and social well-being. He said fucking nothing. Ginger, you're right. He made absolutely no sense. He never does. I don't understand why people take him seriously, but he's he's a self-help guru. Makes a shit ton of money, and even his daughter's gotten in on it. Beef daughter. And I saw her bitching about TEDx or some shit earlier. Let's talk about the propaganda of them calling themselves the Freedom Convoy. An article from the CBC, why the word freedom... It's such a useful rallying cry for the protesters. Just like how all fascists co-op the language of popular movements. Just like here in the U.S., they they appeal to the Constitution. I'm a constitutionalist. They've never fucking read the Constitution. It's it's the same thing. They, They make these appeals to things that they're not actually fighting for. The word has become common among far-right groups, experts say, yes. Just like Patriot. I think I cost myself a job the other day because the dude, uh, I guess he thought the flag behind me was a Gadsden flag. He's like, oh, you're a Patriot, which I, I try to remember to take it down before I have video conferences with clients. <laughs> said, oh, you're a Patriot. Sure, okay, I, ugh. These people aren't patriots. Demonstrations against COVID-19 restrictions continue across Canada. The word freedom is on the lips and placards of many protesters. Often associated with protests and rallies in the United States, the term has taken hold among protesters who are part of the Freedom Convoy, which rolled into Ottawa in late January and has become entrenched in the city's downtown. For many, freedom is a malleable term, one that's open to interpretation. Flexibility, in part, has fueled its growth among certain groups. 
said Barbara Perry, director on the Center for Hate, director of the Center on Hate, Bias and Extremism, at the Oshawa-based Ontario Tech University. It's a term that has resonated. You can define it and understand it and sort of manipulate it in a way that makes sense to you and is useful to you, depending on your perspective. It's also a term that has thrived among far-right groups, said Perry, one of a number of experts who say the presence of far-right groups in Canada is growing. As seen among some protesters currently opposing vaccine mandates and other public health measures, freedom uh, freedom signals are a desire for freedom from government intervention or overreach, Perry noted. I think it resonates very much with what we've been seeing and maybe takes some inspiration from what we've been seeing. In the U.S., over the last year and a half or so, leading up to the last election and events of January 6th, she said referring to the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Protesters have gridlocked the streets of Ottawa with tractor trailers and personal vehicles for 16 days as part of what they call the Freedom Convoy. Similar protests have sprung up across Canada in the wake of the ongoing demonstration in the nation's capital, including at international border crossings in Ontario, Manitoba, and Alberta. Convoy protesters are calling for an end to all vaccine mandates as well as other pandemic-related restrictions. Canada Unity, one of the main organizing groups behind the protests, says on its website it is committing to upholding freedom of choice for Canadians. Evan Balgord, executive director of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, says the way many protesters frame their calls for freedom renders the word meaningless. What they're really asking for is a shift in government policy that could potentially have a negative impact on others. They're yelling they care so much about their freedom, they're taking freedoms away from other people who don't have the same kind of agency and choice that they do or that they do. And we're going to see that when we talk about the Loudoun County Board here in just a second. We're going to see the groups that are for mask mandates versus the groups that are against mask mandates. And these people aren't speaking for the little people. Yes, Gabe, we are live. What's going on? The concept of freedom can be used to reject equality. To see the world, uh, to see the word freedom bandied about as part of these protests points to a broader circulation of what Elizabeth Anger calls violent forms of freedom. Freedom is a slippery concept, said Anker an associate professor of political science at George Washington University and author of Ugly Freedoms, which examines the history of how freedom as a concept has been used in American society. On the far right, individual freedom is often translated into somebody who refuses to be bound by norms of equality, treating all people equally or norms to remedy inequality, whether that's trying to remedy racial discrimination or gender discrimination. Word has been used by far-right groups as part of a pushback against efforts to remedy inequality. While those forms of violent freedom can result in situations that are dangerous, discriminatory, or anti-democratic, the call to action can gain broader support because fighting for freedom is seen as a noble cause. Right groups began appearing in Canada back in 2015, and in the years since, Perry says that anti-state rhetoric has gained more mainstream popularity. Now, Freedom leads social media posts about the protest is trumpeted in memes and even the focus of merchandise. A bumper sticker that reads, Mandate Freedom, emblazoned with a maple leaf, is available for sale online, so are t-shirts and hats promoting the Freedom Convoy. 
You see that all over far-right Facebook. Boy, howdy, do they have t-shirts and everything, a lot of 1776 merchandise, a lot of freedom merchandise. It's it's a, a form of capitalism. People trying to make a buck off of this shit. Now, GOP senators here in the U.S. have renewed efforts to defund Biden's vaccine mandates, to which I say, what the fuck mandates are you talking about? What vaccine mandates even exist anymore besides in the military, which they absolutely have the right to mandate? Republican senators wrote a letter to their colleagues Monday urging them to oppose easing passage of the continuing resolution before the Senate until there is a roll call vote on an amendment that would defund the enforcement of President Biden's vaccine mandates. Explaining their intention to stand against such mandates until they are discontinued in ambition, design, and practice, Senators Mike Lee of Utah, Roger Marshall of Kansas, Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming, Mike Braun of Indiana, and of course, Rand Paul of Kentucky and Ted Cruz of Texas said they will not consent to a time agreement that eases passages, a passage of the continuing resolution. I don't even, I don't even know what mandates they're talking about. They have consistently opposed President Biden's federal COVID-19 vaccine mandates, which would force millions of Americans to choose between an unwanted medical procedure and being able to provide for their families. Because it's, it's true, if you don't like a job that's mandating you get the vaccine, you can just go get another job. It's not an issue of freedom. For legal, constitutional, and policy reasons, we remain not only strongly opposed to the mandates, but also firmly convinced that the risk of inaction on our part is unacceptably high, the senators wrote. With this picture of fucking Ted Cruz. Right-wingers are morons. Millions of Americans are now free from this unwarranted federal invasion into health care decisions, but for how long? The senators continued referring to the recent Supreme Court decision that blocked the OSHA mandate. In addition to the lingering harmful uncertainty uh, faced by those subject to the four remaining COVID-19 mandates. Uh, Fash Basher, love your name. Welcome. Thank you for being a freaking follower. Specifically, those imposing vaccine requirements on medical workers, military personnel, federal employees, and federal contractors. I, I don't see any issue. Hello, Adam. Welcome. Glad to see you, my friend. Now, in Loudoun County, Virginia, which you will be familiar with because it is the... has been the uh, um, hotbed of right-wing attacks on school board meetings. They served affidavits to the school board uh, about a lawsuit. We're going we're gonna to read about the lawsuit here in just a second, but this is the scene they caused. You are being served a legal document. You must take it. These are just PR stunts. We've gone over this time and time again. This, this is where the trans bathroom issue took center stage. 
fights over mask mandates. They are not being served. These are actually affidavits. Any documents that need to be provided will be provided to the LCPS staff. They will forward them to us and we will all receive copies. So the boardroom decorum is that everyone is seated, that signs are not held, that are blocking. The last time we saw uh, this school board, they did not have the glass up. I do not blame them for putting it up or the plexiglass. We will, and we will. We just, and there's a legal procedure here that has to be completed. And that is. Uh, uh, Find out what all this bullshit is about. From Loudon now. Loudon families join federal lawsuit against Yunkin's masking executive others or executive order. Others push for repeal of the mandate. So we're gonna see the two competing sides. I believe I'm on the side with the the families of students with disabilities. (laughs) Families of students with disabilities are gearing up to fight the governor's executive order banning school mask mandates in federal court. The lawsuit, this is what they were serving affidavits for in the video we just watched that was highly publicized by right-wing propaganda. Lawsuit filed last week in the Western District of Virginia includes Loudoun County families it claims that Governor Glenn Youngkin's order is in violation of federal law and could create an environment where children are at higher risk of COVID-19. Now, Virginia had seen some of the lowest rates of children with cases of COVID because they had mask mandates in place. Youngkin was elected last year. November took office in January. Without universal masking, the filing says, students would be excluded from receiving an education which would be barred under the Americans with Disabilities Act and or the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Rehabilitation Act. Currently, Loudon requires masks in schools. Last week, a federal district judge ruled in favor of seven Virginia school divisions, uh, granting a temporary restraining order against the executive order. Divisions argued that Senate Bill 1303, enacted last year, requires continuing or continued masking in schools to be in compliance with the CDC's recommendation uh, recommended mitigation measures. Now that expires in August apparently. Kim Gold, a teacher and a mother of two Loudon students, said she joined the suit to protect her son's access to his critical services. She said Yunkin's executive order scared her to death. Her son Isaac, now 13 years old and in 6th grade, is severely immunocompromised. When Isaac was six years old, the Golds uh, experienced the horrors of severe respiratory illness. A lot of kids get SRV, and it's a cold, and they recover. Isaac got SRV and ended up on a vent in the hospital. It's the unexpected for us. At school, Isaac receives speech therapy and other services. He still can't quite talk due to problems with his vocal cords, but Gould said that he socializes and whispers to his friends. He worries that the family will have to keep both Isaac and his brother home from school if the masking requirement ends and that Isaac would lose access to his therapies. These are the people that these right-wing assholes are trying to strip the freedom from. Isaac's right lung is half the size of his left lung. He is severely compromised, and he wears a mask all day and has absolutely no problem doing it. Hasn't complained once. 
I know it's doable. I wear a mask all day because I'm a teacher. It's fine. These people are just throwing a fucking fit. I believe the science that my mask protects you and your mask protects me. Being a resident of Loudoun County, I truly hope that the people who don't want masks just aren't understanding the facts. They don't care to understand the facts. I would really hate to believe that these people don't want to protect kids in the community. They don't fucking care. They don't fucking care. I had an argument with a dude the other day about mandates. And he said, like, oh, where's the science that says mask mandates work? I provided five, five peer-reviewed scientific studies showing mask mandates work. And you know what he said? Oh, well, I just care about freedom. It comes down to individual choice. I have an immunocompromised kid, and I think people should be given the choice of whether to mask or not. After I showed him five, five, five peer-reviewed scientific studies that showed mask mandates work, I showed him the data between schools that had mask mandates and schools that didn't. They don't fucking care. They don't fucking care. They don't care about facts. This is the side that supposedly facts don't care about your feelings, snowflake. Facts to them are just whatever they've made up and determined to be true. Fucking tired of it. You know what else they've just made up and determined to be true? That Russiagate was a thing. Every time I hear the word fucking Russiagate, I want to know exactly what people are talking about. Don't make me pull up the Senate Intelligence Committee report. I will, and I'm probably going to have to pull it up here in just a second after we read this story. Durham alleges cyber analysts exploited access to Trump White House server. John Durham, the special counsel appointed under former President Trump to investigate the FBI's probing of Russian interference in the 2016 election, has alleged in court that a tech executive exploited access to White House data in order to find damning information about Trump. Now, this has right-wingers all in a tizzy, claiming Hillary's getting ready to go to jail. I've seen Obama's getting ready to go to jail. You're all fucking delusional. In a court filing submitted on Friday, Durham's office said that the executive, who's referred to in legal filings only as Tech Executive 1, but has been identified in news reports as Rodney Joffe, used his company's access to non-public government domain name system data through a pending cybersecurity contract as he was analyzing supposed links between the Trump Organization and a Russian bank. Now, this is related to the story... Uh, who was the first one to publish it? I think it was the New York Times that a server uh, that belonged to Trump was pinging from a Russian bank. Executive One's employer, Internet Company One, had come to access and maintain dedicated servers for the EOP as part of a sensitive arrangement whereby it provided DNS resolution services to the EOP, Durham's office wrote, using an acronym for the White House Executive Office of the President. Tech Executive One and his associates exploited this arrangement by mining the EOP's DNS traffic and other data for the purpose of gathering derogatory information about Donald Trump. 
Attorney Ripper. Now we're reading from the Hill, which was the least biased source that I could find. Most of most of the people reporting on this are hard right wing. An attorney representing Joffe did not immediately respond when asked for comment. Filing came in Durham's prosecution against Michael Sussman, an attorney who represented Joffe and worked on behalf of the Democrats and Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign for a single count of making false statements to the FBI's general counsel. That's still like the only indictment we've gotten out of this bullshit. Sussman is accused of falsely telling the FBI's top attorney in a 2016 meeting that he was not representing any client when he presented data that researchers believed could have established a connection between Trump's business and the Moscow-based Alpha Bank. Sussman has pleaded not guilty and denied any wrongdoing. His attorney did not immediately respond when asked for comment. Neither Joffe nor the company from which he retired in 2021, Newstar, have been charged with any wrongdoing. Sussman was indicted in September, and prosecutors said at the time that the cybersecurity researcher he was representing took advantage of access to an executive branch office's server, uh, but the charging document did not specify the government entity. Durham, who was appointed by former Attorney General William Barr, alleged that Sussman was presenting the evidence in coordination with the Clinton campaign. The FBI and former special uh, counsel Robert Mueller investigated the purported links between Trump and the Russian bank and found there was not enough evidence to support it. Trump, who has expressed disappointment with Durham's investigation for not sufficiently undermining the FBI's 2016 investigation into his campaign, held the special counsel's new revelations on Monday and criticized the lack of media attention it received over the weekend. It shows how totally corrupt and shameless the media is. Can you imagine if the roles were reversed and the Republicans, in particular President Donald Trump, got referred to himself in the third person and as president, got caught illegally spying into the office of the president, all hell would break loose, and the electric chair would immediately come out of retirement. It's the motherfucker that was eating documents and flushing them down the toilet. The good news is everybody is talking about not only this atrocity against our nation, but that the press refuses even to even... What? But that the press refuses to even mention the major crime that took place. How does that even make sense? The good news is everybody is talking about not only this atrocity against our nation, but that the press refuses to even mention the major crime that took place. That statement didn't make any sense. That statement didn't make any... Fuck, fuck, fuck. Fuck. I pulled it up on this show many times before. The Senate Intelligence Committee report is far more damning than the Mueller report. Volume 2. I want volume 5. Where's Volume 5? Why well, I just had it up earlier. to say I know I just had it up earlier this was not the browser I was on I want whenever whenever anyone says Russia gate I always want to know what the fuck they're talking about 
report's going to actually open for us is a PDF document. This is straight from uh, the Senate website. Senate Committee on Intelligence, United States Senate. This is this is Republican. This is a Republican Senate that did this, by the way. The committee found that the Russian government engaged in an aggressive, multifaceted effort to influence or attempt to influence the outcome of the 2016 presidential election. Parts of this effort are outlined in the committee's earlier volumes on election security. The fifth and final volume focuses on counterintelligence threat, outlining a wide range of Russian efforts to influence the Trump campaign in the 2016 election. In this volume, the committee lays out its findings in detail by looking at many aspects of the counterintelligence threat posed by the Russian influence operation. For example, uh, the committee examined Paul Manafort's connection to Russian influence actors and the FBI's treatment of reporting produced by Christopher Steele. I encourage everyone to look this up. It is incredibly, incredibly damning. Whereas the court filings by Durham uh, don't really seem to be uh, a nothing burger. A nothing burger, if I can reiterate a right-wing talking point. But let's see what right-wing propaganda has to say about it. This man is a man who I used to work for. Or work with, I don't know. I did some uh, uh, producing of videos for his social media. This is Del Jackson, a right-wing radio host in northern Alabama. And uh, he has me blocked on all social media. Except apparently the page that I do my uh, show on. Because I saw him pop up and I saw this video. So I was like, hey, let's check this out. What he got mad about and blocked me was because he used to troll left-wing figures, liberal figures. Alyssa Milano was one of his uh, um, major targets. Jake Tapper, people like that. He would troll them on Twitter and then get hate follows off of them. I would troll him back on those very threads that he was trolling them on, correct what his bullshit was, And he got mad that I kept correcting him on Twitter. (laughs) So he blocked me. Uh, He's he's upped his... um, He's upped his production value. Because the last time I watched one of his videos, it looked like shit. So this is Del Jackson about the Durham report. And I will tell you that that's a that's a pre-made After Effects template. Now we're gonna take a look at some cable news craziness. Sixty minutes and the rest of cable news basically ignored this, and will continue to ignore this as much as they possibly can. But once again, they are rendering themselves irrelevant by pretending that things they don't like don't matter. Now, you may have heard over the past couple of years that Donald Trump was making crazy, laughable accusations that the Clinton campaign and the federal government were spying on him, uh, on Trump, he was. on his residence, and even on him when he was in the White House. We were told this is nuts, this is crazy, it's a conspiracy. It is. It's completely, completely insane. Except the fact that it turns out it's true. No, it's not. Look at how 
adamant our friends in the media were to ignore this when Donald Trump was raising it, not only during his presidency, but during the campaign uh, for re-election in 2020. Watch Leslie Stahl from 60 Minutes tell the president to his face that this just isn't true. This isn't anything. We can't put this information on if it's not true. But they did put it on. It wasn't true. Donald Trump was right. No, he wasn't. He always is. They no, he's not. Oh, my God. What the fuck? And they're not looking back. None of the Sunday shows touched on this. So we have to go back in time to get a clip of Donald Trump laying it out pretty clear and being told by a two-bit reporter that none of it's true when it is. Roll it. So the biggest scam. This idiot is calling someone on 60 Minutes a two-bit reporter. There's no real evidence of that. Of course there is. No. It's all over the place. Leslie, Sir, they spied on my campaign and they got I, caught. Can I say something? You know, this is 60 Minutes, and we can't put on things we can't no, verify. you won't put it on because it's bad for Biden. We can't Look, put on you. things we can't verify. Leslie, they spied and, on my campaign. Well, we can't verify It's been totally that. verified. No. It's been, just go down and get the papers. They spied on my campaign. They got caught. No. And then they went much further than that, and they got caught. And you will see that, Leslie, and you know that, but you just don't want to no. put it on the air. No, as a matter of fact, I don't know that. Okay. Now, this is going to be up to you. Uh, this is the now, one where's, your, where's your evidence, Dale? 100% to you to force media outlets to actually cover this story. This is a huge story. This is an absolutely huge story. Uh, we have a special counsel... I'm sorry, uh, he has yet to present any evidence, and we just read what the special counsel said in the legal filing on Friday. I'm not, I'm not seeing your evidence. Looking into this, that is now making it clear that they have evidence that the Clinton campaign uh, paid tech individuals, including someone apparently with access uh, to the White House, to give them Apparently with access to the White House. Knows he used that wiggle word the there. Trump campaign and the Trump presidency were communicating with those rascally Russians. They were trying to create a narrative, and when they couldn't prove it, they tried to fabricate it. In the American media, and yes, large portions of our federal government went along with this. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is bigger than Watergate, but it could be. Don't you think somebody should, like, oh, I don't know, look into it? Should the American... That's what Durham is doing. ...interested in this? Now, I know, I know. Eminem took a knee during the Super Bowl halftime show. Did anyone see him get up, by the way? He's, like, 50 years old. Was he able to get up afterwards? And I know that some conservatives complained about the halftime show. And I know that's much bigger and more important news than the fact that Hillary Clinton and her campaign spied, yes, spied... Uh, on the campaign of her opponent. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. You are a liar. When he was president of the United States. I get it. That's boring, right? Donald Trump was flushing things down the toilet, which is the allegation. And he was. Yeah, we'll run with that a lot, but this, no one's touched it. 
It's not just the president's view that this is worse than Watergate. If you want to remember what happened in Watergate, that was a relatively low-level break-in to a Democratic Party office and then a cover-up from the White House. What we're talking about in these latest court filings confirms so much of what we've already known, but takes it much further. The spying operation against Donald Trump wasn't just during the campaign. They were also spying on White House servers, Trump Tower, while he was... <laughs> what? This information was weaponized by powerful government officials, including at the Department of Justice. This implicates so many people. The Clinton campaign that funded the operation received some of this information, weaponized it with the DOJ, the Department of Justice. The media, who spent years lying and claiming that Donald Trump had stolen the 2016 election by colluding with Russia. Those now, 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 now. If, if what we read is actually true, this was a lone actor that had access through some kind of a back door. We have no evidence that the Clinton campaign did anything illegal. But hey, they're going to run with it. Damage to the country. This is so much bigger than Watergate. And yet, other than you mentioning it here and Fox News covered it this weekend and a few other sensible media organizations covering it, it's not even getting any coverage. And well, hey, the Troll Patrol covered it because if the right wing's talking about it, I'm going to confront it head on. Fox News has covered it and the other media outlets seem less than interested. It's up to you. Uh, to make them care about it because they're not going to care about it on their own. Yes, they're irrelevant. Yes, it's cable news craziness, but a lot of people pay attention to these outlets and a lot of people will miss this story, just like they miss Hunter. No, no, no. Like Fox on a good day is getting two and a half, three million viewers for Tucker. Oh, like CNN, MSNBC is getting like a million. Do you know there's like 350 million, 370 million people in this country? Fucking nobody is paying attention to goddamn cable news. Jesus. Biden's laptop, uh, just like they missed all the connections uh, to things that Bill Clinton had done and how Hillary Clinton helped cover it up. Uh, just like they missed- Like what? Like what? What the fuck was on Hunter Biden's laptop? I still haven't got an answer for that. The media outlets not named Fox News, would not cover them. It is... The fucking outlets like Fox News that are nothing but sheer fucking propaganda. Oh, Jesus. Right-wingers are absolute morons. And that includes you, Dell Jackson, who used to be my friend. You used to be my friend, Dell. But you didn't like you didn't like me trolling you when you were trolling other people because I made you look bad. Those right wingers are morons and never know what they're talking about. Do you think we're stupid? You think we're fools? Speaking of stupid, you want to hear from Marjorie Taylor Greene? She has a podcast with Matt Gates, and I might agree with her a little bit on this one. I have these military bases. I have this research mission. I see how many veterans need services. Uh, but then I look at the way in which our military is targeting service members and mm-hmm. military. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I need to ask a question here. How in the fuck is Matt Gates still in Congress? How? How? How is his constituency not driven him out already? How is somebody, how have they not expelled him? How is Matt Gates still in Congress? Just the allegations against him, which look to be airtight. Multiple people have rolled over now and pointing the finger at him. Apparently his ex has testified. 
How are you still in Congress? Families and pushing wokeism uh, from not from our brave service members, but from these terrible leaders that Joe Biden has selected. And, and I look at the way people to VA are at risk of being discriminated against because of gun ownership or uh, because of their vaccine status, mm -hmm. potentially. And, and so I think you're right when the government operationalizes against the people, the people have to rely on representatives to actually get, get up and fight their battles for them. And, you know, the the fear that we always hear behind closed doors mm -hmm. is, well, Republicans always lose shutdowns. Mm. We always lose shutdowns. And, and I have a theory on that, that, that often when we engage in the shutdown strategy, it's for like a myriad of reasons. It's like, no, no, no. Let me tell you who loses in shutdowns. It's the everyday people who are collecting their checks that don't get them from the government that have to be furloughed because you fucking idiots won't do your job. Your job is to pass a budget. Coming up on that again. A little bit of Obamacare, a little bit of the border, right. a little bit spending, and that the way to marshal the country behind us is to have like a laser focus on the problems that, that people are facing. Why do you think Republicans have always lo lost shutdowns? Right? Well, I don't think that Republicans have reflected the American people. That's why they've lost shutdowns. They haven't been. I will agree with that statement, but not for the reason she made it. The Republicans do not reflect the American people. You two chuckle fucks do not reflect the American people. Brave enough. Look at truckers right now. Can we just talk about how awesome truck drivers are? I mean, these people send goods all over the country. They help us to be able to have stuff on our uh, shelves and stores to buy. And they're the bravest people in the country right now. They're getting ready. Um, they're planning a convoy to D.C. I cannot wait to see it. You know, I'll be all down there high-fiving truck drivers. And But, yeah, no, truck drivers are the ones that are willing no, to stand no, up and say we're They're meaning the political costs. They're meaning the public perception of who won and who lost when they play chicken with government funding. That's what they're talking about when, he, when, when they say lost shutdowns. The Republicans lose when they force shutdowns, which is always the Republicans doing it. Shutting this down because it's broken and we're sick of it and we're tired of it. And then back to shutting the government down, everyone gets their paycheck eventually anyways. When you fund the government, everyone gets their back pay. So I don't want to hurt military families. I don't want to hurt veterans. We don't want to hurt any of those people. As if they're not living check to check. Oh, my God. They deserve it. But here's the thing. I know you know how much it costs to be poor? No, you don't. Because you've never been poor, have you? It's crazy that we've gotten... Wow. Everybody will get their check anyway. It doesn't matter that rent is due next week. No, everybody will get their check anyway whenever we decide to actually fund the government. Fuck off. Fuck off. Somebody needs to call the gazpacho police on her and have her taken away. Let's talk about the woman who helped usher in this new uh, anti-intellectualism in the Republican Party. I'm... The current wave, the new wave of anti-intellectualism, not like it hasn't always existed. Because good lord, I can go back years on that one. Judge to dismiss Sarah Palin case against New York Times regardless of the jury's verdict. U.S. judge said on Monday he will throw out Sarah Palin's defamation lawsuit against the New York Times. I said defamation. Defamation. Sarah Palin's defamation lawsuit against the New York Times 
after concluding that an editorial in the newspaper did not maliciously link the former Alaska governor and 2008 Republican U.S. vice presidential candidate to a mass murder. An abrupt twist in a trial seen as a test of long-standing protections of, uh, for American media, U.S. District Judge Jed Rakoff in Manhattan said Palin's lawsuit must be dismissed because she failed to show the Times acted with actual malice, the standard in lawsuits involving public figures. I don't know how what they could say uh, wouldn't be true. The judge ruled on the trial's eighth day while jurors were still deliberating and did not inform them of his plan. Rakoff said he plans to enter a formal dismissal only after jurors who began deliberations on Friday reached their own verdict. Rakoff said he expected Palin to appeal and and that the appeals court would greatly benefit from knowing how the jury would decide it. Action effectively takes the case out of the hands of jurors. If you see anything in the media about this case, just turn away. Speaking to reporters outside the courthouse, Palin58 criticized Rakoff while declining to discuss the outcome because deliberations were continuing. This is a jury trial, and we always thank jurors. We always appreciate the system, she said. So whatever happened in there kind of usurps the system that I believe we are used to and respect and works. An email, Times spokeswoman Danielle Rhodes, uh, Danielle Rhodes Ha, called Rakoff's action a a reaffirmation of a fundamental tenet of um, of American law. Public figures should not be permitted to use libel suits to punish or intimidate news organizations that make, acknowledge, and swiftly correct unintentional errors. Palin sued the Times and its former editorial page editor, James Bennett, over a June 14, 2017 editorial that incorrectly linked her to the January 2011 mass shooting that wounded Democratic U.S. Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. I don't, under, I don't understand how it incorrectly linked her. She Giffords was one of the congresspeople that Palin put a fucking uh, um, target on. She has said that if she lost at trial, her appeal might challenge New York Times versus Sullivan, the 1964 U.S. Supreme Court decision establishing the actual malice standard for public figures to prove defamation. Two conservative Supreme Court justices, Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch, have suggested revisiting the Sullivan decision. One of Bennett's colleagues prepared a draft that referred to the January 2011 shooting in a Tucson, Arizona parking lot where six people were killed and Giffords was wounded. Bennett inserted language that said the link to political incitement was clear between the Giffords shooting and a map previously circulated by Palin's political action committee uh, that the draft editorial said put Giffords and 19 other Democrats under crosshairs. Times corrected the editorial the next morning Bennett testified that he made the additions too quickly under the uh, under deadline pressure and intended no harm to Palin. I still don't. Uh, that map is real. That she really did put crosshairs on multiple Democratic Congress people. I don't know why they're saying. I don't know what the correction was.
And this article really doesn't uh, go into that. Eric David, a media lawyer at Brooks, Pierce, and Raleigh, North Carolina, said a jury verdict favoring the Times would be much more appeal-proof because appeals courts are reluctant to second-guess jurors' factual determinations. I don't see how that doesn't align with what the editorial was about. I'm going to have to look into this a little more because I feel like the editorial was correct, but apparently they issued a correction on it. I remember the uproar over that map. I think it was in the 2010 congressional races. Just wanted to bring this up real fast. The U.S. has temporarily suspended Mexican avocado imports after an American official received a threatening phone call. One, I wanted to alert you guys to the fact that uh, the price of avocados may go up. But two, I wanted to find out what the fuck this threatening phone call was. U.S. temporarily suspended Mexican avocado imports after a U.S. plant safety inspector received a threatening phone call. An announcement on Saturday, Mexico's agriculture ministry said the halt in shipments affected avocados from the major growing region of Michoacan. I'm I'm fucking that name up too. Let's let's find. I've never heard of this region of Mexico. Find out how to say it. Michoacan. Michoacan. Still probably fucking it up. Health authorities made the decision after one of their officials was carrying out inspections in Europan, Michoacan, received a threatening message on his official cell phone, the ministry said, according to an Associated Press translation of the announcement. Inspectors from the Department of Agriculture's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Services inspect the fruits in Mexico to ensure uh, the shipments that reach the U.S. don't carry diseases that could affect American avocado crops, according to the AP. The Mexican Agriculture uh, Ministry said the USDA was asserting, was assessing the security threat, according to Bloomberg. Khan has been dealing with gang violence, according to the AP and Reuters. The USDA did not immediately reply to insiders' request for comment. Import suspension came as avocado prices hit record highs in the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl on Sunday, with consumption surges. I didn't know guac was that popular. Berg reported earlier this month that the price spike was due to an increase in production costs, a labor crunch, and a supply chain logjam. A recent USDA report indicated that avocado prices at U.S. supermarkets were up about 60% from a year ago. Wow, I didn't realize they were that expensive. But I only buy avocados, you know, once every few months, so I'm not really noticing the prices. Shit. If you're an avocado fan, uh, be on the lookout for that. The prices are probably going to go up even higher. Speaking of the Super Bowl, reading from the Daily Wire, all the maskless celebs at Super Bowl 2022 and some of their old posts that didn't age well. 
By the way, we're going to talk about Shut In. Your little movie. I'm not going to do it tonight, though. I saw uh, Ben Shapiro try to take a movie reviewer to task. Like, she could have reviewed the movie. We didn't send her a copy of the movie to review. But she wasn't reviewing the movie. She was just uh, outlining all the shitty people that worked on the movie and the baggage that they brought with it. But Ben Shapiro is a liar, so what would you expect? Numerous celebrities and left-wing politicians were out having a lovely time at this year's Super Bowl in Los Angeles County, and they were notably without masks. The stadium where the Super Bowl was played has a rule that masks are required indoors and outdoors during events with more than 5,000 people. Among those partying it up maskless were Charlize Theron, uh, Jennifer Lopez, Ben Affleck, Jay-Z, Ellen DeGeneres, Will Ferrell, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, among others. Yet kids around the country will be required to wear masks at school this morning, as well they should! Now, I think people in the stadium probably should have been wearing masks, but in their defense, I will say, uh, one, they were outdoors, and the spread is far less significant in outdoor venues. Two, they're all probably assuredly vaccinated. Media quickly erupted with criticism, highlighting that school children in Los Angeles are still required to wear masks at school. Some also pointed out specific celebrities' personal flip-flop or hypocrisy on masks. For example, Theron in the past posted to her Instagram that everyone should wear a damn mask and don't be an asshole. Don't be an ass. I'm sorry. I, I, I got the quote wrong. I just saw the asterisk there. Any virtue-signaling mask tyrants who ordered us and our kiddos to wear useless and filthy masks? Useless. Useless. Capitalize there. Useless. Capitalized. They're not useless. I can show you the data on how they prevent uh, the spread. Not prevent. Mitigate the spread. The Rock, who was spotted maskless at the Super Bowl, slammed politicians who told the public that masks are a personal choice. Wear your mask. It baffles me that some people out there, including some politicians, will take this idea of wearing masks and make it part of a political agenda. Johnson scolded in an Instagram video. It has nothing to do with politics. Wear your mask and continued. It is a fact. It is the right thing to do, not only for yourself, but for your family and your loved ones and also your fellow human beings. What was the date on this post? Then there was Los Angeles Democrat Mayor Eric Garcetti, who was, too, spotted maskless at the Super Bowl. Garcetti, just last week, was widely mocked when he was photographed maskless at the stadium for the NFC Championship game and assured critics he was holding his breath. Some on the left have suggested the science has changed and now masks are not necessary. We did multiple stories on this last week about the science is changing. However, the science seems to have been impacted by politics. At the start of the pandemic, public health officials like Dr. Anthony Fauci told people not to wear masks. He should have never done that. Before quickly promoting mask mandates on the public, including children. Now, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has admitted that loosely woven cloth masks uh, products provide the least protection. They've used that to say, well, cloth masks don't work. Which isn't true. 
They provide about 20-25% efficacy. General outrage at the inconsistency about masks exploded online. Here's a video of every celebrity without a mask during the Super Bowl, but every kid in California will have to be wearing them tomorrow in school. They must all be holding their breath the entire game. We're in Hollywood. Who do we got here? We got Jay-Z. This is Jay-Z. Matt Damon. Ben Affleck. No, Matt Damon. I'm sorry. I confuse Matt Damon with Ben Affleck. LeBron. Jennifer and Ben. Benifer! Benifer! There you go. There's my kind of celebrity. Yeah, now we're talking. I mean, where else would they be? I don't I don't understand why they weren't wearing masks and why the stadium didn't enforce it. Celebrities and rich people are allowed to not wear masks, commented at Tim Pool. It just it's just the poorers who have to because they are unclean. God damn. God damn. Right wingers are moral. So it's just more trying to point out hypocrisy from the left. Fueling the outrage machine on the right. As I said, I tried to find some hot takes about the halftime show. I mean, nobody had a hotter take than Charlie Kirk here. Who said, the NFL is now the league of sexual anarchy. This halftime show should not be allowed on television. You live in sexual anarchy? I don't know what he was referring to. Like the the only the only thing that could even remotely be sexual because I went back and watched it again today. The only thing that could be remotely sexual was like, you can find me in the club. I ain't into having sex. I ain't into, or I'm fucking. I don't even know the fucking words of the song. I ain't even into having. I ain't into making love. I'm into having. I fucking see. I hated that song. I hated that song. Don't even fucking know the words to it. Those were the most risque dancers that appeared during the halftime show. You was mailing in the halftime show. Yep, 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 yep. That's exactly what it is. But I found, because I wanted to find a video of, you know, one of the usual suspects. One of the right wingers we like to pick on about their, their views on the Super Bowl halftime show. I could not find that, but I found... Uh, hey, Morton. And apparently Adina hated the halftime show. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know the politics of Hey, Morton. I don't know what they're getting ready to say. I've not watched this video, but apparently Adina hated the halftime show. Let's find out why she hated it. I can talk about the Super Bowl halftime show. By the way, by the way, I want to say... It was a good halftime show. I see people calling it like the greatest of all time. It wasn't. Come on. Fucking Prince in what, 2007, 2008? You're never going to be able to top that. Just because that was fucked. I thought the Dr. Dre show was overproduced. Too many sets, too many moving parts. I 
I like music to speak for itself. So, personal opinion, Prince was just Prince on a Prince symbol stage, being Prince and fucking killing it. And wailing on a guitar. God, I wish I had appreciated Prince more uh, years ago, because he may be the greatest musician to ever walk the face of the earth. Hands down. I don't. I don't understand. Why would you not watch that Super Bowl halftime show? Uh, there was a. There was a. Mary J. Blige knocked it out of the park. Kendrick Lamar knocked it out of the park. Snoop Dogg was fun. If you have never seen the Prince 2007, I don't. I don't have the exact year. If you've never seen that halftime show, go look it up. It was incredibly hard to find up until he died. Because Prince was very protective about video of him. And, like, copyright claim took everything down. After he died, it got posted to Vimeo, a a fantastic copy of it, or Vivo, or whatever. Prince of State put it up. Go fucking watch that shit. He does several covers, does All Along the Watchtower, Proud Mary. What's up, lady? I'm fantastic. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, uh, Super Bowl halftime show. So I I would rank Dr. Dre uh, 5th best, 4th best, something like that. I put Lady Gaga, I put U2, I put Prince above Dr. Dre. But I mean it was a fun it was a fine halftime show. Now I I had warned Sparkles ahead of time like I hear rumors there's going to be a holographic Tupac. This was the first time she's ever watched a halftime show. I see a holographic Tupac. I'm out of here. I'm never watching this shit again. Luckily, we didn't get a holographic Tupac. I was I was worried about it uh, when he started playing uh, "Ain't Mad at You" on the piano. I thought Tupac was gonna pop up before 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 we actually watched it. I'm like, shit. They're in California. They're gonna do California Love. Also, here's my here's here's. The thing that I hated the most about the halftime show was Kendrick Lamar nailed it and then does this intro for Forgot About Dre, and that's when Eminem pops up and starts doing his part from Forgot About Dre, and then he starts doing the Mom's Spaghetti song. I'm like, no, 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 I want to hear Forgot About Dre. I don't want to hear the Mom's Spaghetti song. What the fuck? I'm not that big of an Eminem fan. And of the Eminem songs, it's probably my least favorite Eminem song. It's like, I I can get down on some Marshall Mathers LP. That's a good fucking album. But anyway, let's... This is Hey Morton. I know nothing about this show. Uh, but uh, apparently, Adina did not like the Super Bowl. Oh, how amazing it was. Oh, yeah. Incredible. I mean, Unbelievable. Oh, God, he's going to give me a copyright claim for playing Dr. Dre. incredible? <laughs> yeah. Let, let me give you context for it. It was sitting in the footprint of a brand new stadium in a neighborhood where that music was built from the grassroots of people that had a really tough time. It was ground zero. Yeah. And, it, and, and probably the best thing that those people... Right out of Compton. Generation could be impressed. Impressed the wrong word. 
it came from there. Hip hop comes from there. Now it's a worldwide thing. Right. It's the most popular genre of music. Yeah. So they are, and these are the legends of that. The people that actually went through risking their lives, their careers, everything to become billionaires doing well. that. <laughs> no, no, that's not the truth. That's the truth. Yeah, yes. that's the truth. And so there they are all together on one stage at a Super Bowl. In the very heart of where that music came. I mean, I like, like they're not the pioneers, though. You know, I'd, I'd go back further. Yeah, like, I'm not, I'm not gonna get into that. From anyway, honor to it. As the world now, this must be, this must be like a top forty talk show or yeah, some shit. Legendary. The show yes. could have been better, especially with that setup that you just made. How? I mean, what I setup that I just made? The whole thing looked like, and I get the concept. I got the assignment they were doing. It's like old school, almost looked like a you know 2000 mid 2000s music video i got it i got the you know the i didn't say like public enemy and shit it seemed chaotic there was a lot going on on the field as who cares about that right yeah i'm watching snoop dogg and dr Dre. who cares about who cares about the dancers who cares you could tell if they were dancers or like crew or did someone randomly run up on the field it looked so chaotic like nothing no i knew they were dancers i knew they were dancers so you're saying people wearing brown UPS outfits? No, not before that. Before that, there was like a shot that just... Was... I thought those were like jail outfits. Why are you floor? worried about assigning yeah, well, positions? She always <laughs> focuses on the wrong thing. Who I'm are those sorry. people down there? There's legends performing also, their legendary the legends music. waiting in that little square underneath Mary J. Blige as she's singing at the top. Like, it all seemed weird and awkward. Like, nobody, everyone had their own thing, but it didn't come together for me. They were all a part of the... Now, what seemed weird and awkward was... I don't know if you know, 50 Cent hanging upside down. Yeah. In the center stage. Yes. Kind of did come together. Yeah. At the end. But the, the whole That's show. That's kind of how it's supposed to work. <laughs> the show well, no, those were all Dr. Dre produced songs. Like, that was Dr. Dre's Super Bowl. That's how that came together. Like, it was like Dr. Dre's greatest hits. God. Come together. I'm sorry. You are killing By me. the way, Mary J. Blige, I'm sorry. She. <laughs> She was like the knockoff of a Beyonce. Like she was trying way too hard to be this like flashy, big hair, sparkly like Beyonce. Can I ask you a question? Where do you think Beyonce got that from? Okay, I get it. She paved the way for Beyonce. Kendrick Lamar saved that show. He had so much. The second he started singing, you felt the energy change. Kendrick Lamar is so fucking good. I thought it was R. Kelly. (laughs) And frankly, I'll be honest with you. I just can't wait for the comments. Please comment below <laughs> on how insane this conversation is and save me. Unbelievable. Just give me some sanity so if I read the comments, I know <laughs> that I'm not alone thinking that's the most maniacal thing I've ever heard in my life. I liked all the artists individually. I just don't think they worked well together for a Super oh, Bowl. Are you kidding me? Show. Please comment below. Adina will read all the comments, and we're going to have a group therapy session. <laughs> An intervention. Wow. Oh, uh, that wasn't as fun as I was hoping it would be. Ah, uh, Ben Shapiro's video on rules for thee, not for me. Read the article that was based off of. Uh, they mentioned the SoFi Stadium. I would like to mention SoFi Stadium. I didn't know what SoFi was. I thought it was a beverage produced by Pepsi in like the late 90s, early 2000s. I didn't know where the name came from until just a couple of days ago. Biden urged to cancel student debt during Super Bowl at SoFi Stadium. 
How does it happen that SoFi, a student loan refinancing company, could spend $625 billion to put its name on the LA Rams football stadium when 45 million Americans are drowning in $1.8 trillion in student debt? Asked one Senator Bernie Sanders. <laughs> the media commercials and advertisements displayed during Super Bowl... Which, I, I don't know my Roman numerals. LV, I, that's 56. Is that right? Uh, what's the... Fifty-six, I got it right. Fuck yeah. Where do we get usury from? That's a um like a levy or a tax or something, isn't it? Where did I even say the word? Practice of making unethical or immoral monetary loans that unfairly enrich the lender. Oh, did they spell it wrong? I don't even know where you see the word. I'm so confused at what's going on. (laughs) Of the many commercials and advertisements displayed during the Super Bowl uh, 56 on Sunday, perhaps the most uh, prominent was for the personal finance company with naming rights to SoFi Stadium, the game's multi-billion dollar venue in Inglewood, California. SoFi offers a range of financial products and services, but what drew the most attention and ire during Sunday's game was the company's role in the lucrative student loan refinancing business, which is set to receive a major boost if President Joe Biden allows the federal student debt repayment moratorium to expire on May 1st. Still can't believe this game is being played at Student Debt Stadium. How does it happen that SoFi, a student loan refinancing company, could spend $625 million to put its name on the LA Rams football stadium when 45 million Americans are drowning in $1.8 trillion in student debt? Today would be a good day for the president to cancel student debt Bernie treated during the, or during the Super Bowl. Despite sustained pressure from indebted former students, civil rights groups, and progressive lawmakers who say he has the authority to do so via executive order, President Joe Biden has thus far refused to enact a broad-based cancellation of student loan debt, opting instead for more narrow forgiveness. According to data from the Department of Education, cancellation of 50 grand in federal student loan debt per borrower could fully wipe clean the debt burdens of 36 million borrowers. Now, that doesn't completely wipe my student loan debt, but it almost does. I'm not ever going to pay that fucking shit. But if you do, if Biden, I've made you the promise. If you cancel 50 grand, I'll actually pay the rest of it. The seven or eight grand I would have left, like, that would seem like a, a fair price for my college education. So I'll make you that deal, whereas Bernie would have canceled all of it. 
That's a, um, the chat was asking me about, you know, possibly going to get my MFA at the University of Texas the other day, and I left off the part, you know, they asked me why I was doing it and what I would want to do with it, but, like, I left off the part where, you know, part of it is I'm out of deferments, and going back to school would kick that can down the road again. <laughs> That's part of the reason why I would like to go back and uh, enroll in a master's program. Fuck SoFi, though. Fuck student debt. Fuck Joe Biden for not canceling it. Bernie would have canceled it on fucking day one. I The naming rights to stadiums are, are, are a sticking point with me. Stadiums in general, what they cost the taxpayer... Solve debt with more... I'm not ever gonna fucking pay it. I mean, like, they'll have to garnish my wages or some shit. But you know, that'll be another ten, fifteen years if I uh, if I go back to school. And theoretically, I would make more money if I had a master's, right? An MFA allows me to teach, and I I kind of do. I would like to teach. That would be fun. I'd like to teach intro to to videography or whatever the intro level video class is. I would have a lot of fun with that. And plus, I just, I want to go back to college because college is fun. And I want to go back to college when I'm not, you know, broke like I was last time. Here is a dude petting a seal. Because seals are awesome animals. College was a lot of fun. I I had a blast while I was there. I just wish that, you know, I'd been in a more financially secure situation. I was broke. Broke while I was in college. I didn't get to go do a lot of fun shit. Didn't get to go to as many concerts as I would have liked to. Buying pot by the gram when I was in college. That's That's not fun. I want to pet a seal. Look how he looks happy. Look at the look at the fucking smile on his face. Their face. I don't want to. I don't want to misgender the seal. All right. If you're watching on Twitch, we're heading over to Frims. Media winch is off tonight, or I would send you over to Echoplex. Go ahead. Light one up. Tip one back. All right, have a little fun before you hit the sack. I'm Justin Freegan. We'll see you tomorrow night on the Troll Patrol live.